It's another week, and it's so good to see you again. Um, can you believe it? We're in the month of December already. It felt like summer was just here, and we're now in December. Well, to start off, I'm going to just start off with a, a story that you might be able to relate with, or maybe not. But um, have you ever, like, tried to plan an activity, investing, like, your time, your energy, and even your money, only to see it all go to waste? When we just got married, we were part of this couple's ministry, and, and this was like in our second year of marriage, and we met with a group of people every Wednesday night. So the group consisted of seven other couples, um, and we met every Wednesday to do some Bible study, to eat, and just to fellowship with one another. So this went on for several months, and we all agreed like we'll take turns hosting this, this get-together. Get okay. So um, it started off really strong. Everybody came out, and it seemed like it was gaining momentum. And everybody was faithful week after week. Well, this particular week, it was our turn to host. Me and my wife um, decided, okay, we're really, like this time of the year, we're really busy, so... What we're going to do is we're going to just cater the food, and we're going to meet at this at Kaneohe um, Bayview Golf Course where they have the mini golf. And let's just do mini golf. Um, it'll be easy to set up. So we paid for the food, and we put down the down payment to rent a room. And we also paid in, in advance for the, the golf, the mini golf. Um, so that we could get the discount. So it cost us a little bit. So we got the head count to see who was coming, um, and we pre-ordered the food and got everything ready. Well, that night came, and only one other couple showed up. And we attempted to be good hosts and good company. However, I don't know if you ever felt this, like, when you're trying to hold something and as cars pull into the parking lot, you're like, oh, maybe that's so-and-so. Oh, no, that's not them. Oh, that looks like so-and-so's car. No, that's not them either. And we sat there all night just watching cars pull into the driveway, into the parking lot. You get the idea. Well, when the, when the night was over, me and my wife were disappointed, upset, and discouraged. It seemed like all our time, our energy, and even our finances went unappreciated by those who we tried to bless. It kind of reminds me of this parable that Jesus told about a man who hosted a party for a few guests. So if you have your Bible, you can look with me to the book of Luke, Chapter 14. And we'll start at verse 15. So Luke 14, verse 15. And it goes, When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. 
Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five oxen, yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I cannot come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then, one owner of the ho- then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and to the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get to taste my banquet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, though we are unworthy, broken people, may we come to understand the extent of your invitation to us to be part of your kingdom today. Amen. So, prior to Jesus telling this story, Jesus invited Jesus was invited to eat dinner with this prominent religious leader. This man was a leader of a powerful religious group called the Pharisees. Now, the invited guests at this dinner were somebodies. They were lawyers and doctors and others of religious significance and even politicians. People of high standing. So this was probably a big deal to those who were invited. See, back in that day, whoever one ate with showed if they were big time or not. See, having a meal together was more than just nourishment for the body. It was a time of eating together with others, which was richly symbolic of friendship and intimacy and congruency. So wasting time together over a meal was something that they valued. It was something that people cherished. So it was an honor to be welcomed at the table to eat with one another. Eating at one's table was saying to the other that you are an accepted part of my extended family. People usually ate with others of their own social class, and they would invite those of the same social or religious or economic class. And during this dinner, they would reciprocate favors within their relationship. So now, the master sent his servant to remind his guests about his party. And the guests that were there had an excuse of why they couldn't come to the dinner. And some of the guests, their, their reasons might seem legitimate. However, the text seems to suggest that, that there was this invitation that went out earlier. So they knew there was a party at this time. 
So all their excuses was like saying, you know what, I don't need you anymore. It was a sign of rejection. Now in high school, I had this friend, and we'll call him Samson, okay? And we'll protect his name, we'll pseudify his name to protect his identity. So Samson was the only one in our group, or one of the few people in the group, to have his driver's license. So he was important to us at the time. And not only that, he was the only one with his own car. So he was even more important because he could come anytime he, he chose to and take us anywhere he wanted. So he became the designated driver for our, ad, our adventurous activities. He was the one we would call if we wanted to watch a movie or go ghost hunting at Pro City High School during the late night. Well, the night before, Samson and our group planned this previous activity to go to the beach in the morning. So we all agreed, let's meet at 8 o'clock. Okay, pick us up at 8. So we're out there at 8 o'clock, gathered at my house, and you know, we were going to pick up other people at other people's houses. So we had our bodyboard ready, we had our towels and our change of clothes, and we're ready to hit the beach. So we're waiting there, and 8 o'clock comes, and no Samson. 8.15, bro, where he stay? No Samson. 8.30, oh, bro, we've been waiting 30 minutes. Still, no Samson. 8.45 came, and we'd like, bro, let's go call him. So I run into the house, because never have cell phone right at that time. So I had to go in to the house and call his house on the landline. Hello? So we call his house. We're like, hey, um, is Samson home? And his mom asked, no, no, um, he's outside playing with his dog. What? Playing with his dog? We're out here waiting 45 minutes. Okay, I'll go call him. Well, I didn't say that to her, but okay, I'll go call him. So he comes in. He's like, Hello? I'm like, Samson, you're supposed to pick us up at 8 o'clock. It's 8.45. And he's like, whoa. Uh. And I'm like, bro, if gas is a problem, because you know at that time gas money was hard for come by, right? So we're like, if gas money is a problem, we go, we, we'll all chip in. Just pick us up. And he's, the problem with him is he's a really bad liar. And his excuse was, uh, but I got to do something. What? I gotta do something. Yeah, I gotta do something. Well, that's kind of like what the guest was saying to the master. Uh, I, I gotta do something. See, the master was rejected by his social peers. These guests had this sense of entitlement, and they took the relationship for granted. See, in the ancient culture, rejecting the invitation of one by giving such excuses could be seen as an act of betrayal and unfaithfulness. So by rejecting the invitation, they were, they were communicating their haughtiness. 
this sacred gesture of table, table fellowship was no longer important or relevant to the guests anymore. See, Jesus challenges the confidence of the religious leaders of his time who take it for granted that they will be present at the end time in the kingdom of God. So as a result of this rejection by his guests, the host does something unexpected. The host tells his servant, go gather the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind within the city. So the master looks around and sees that, wow, after gathering all these people, there's still room. So he commands his servant, go out of the city and see if there's stragglers, any homeless, any, anybody who's desperately poor, and compel them to come in. So the master, the, the host, invites those who normally he would have no association with him to come to his dinner table. See, in doing this, he breaks status quo. He breaks tradition. He breaks political correctness and tells his servant, invite the outcast, the unclean, the marginalized, the lame, the downtrodden, and those who others might consider as deplorable. And he invites them to eat with him and celebrate with him and party with him and have a good time with him. Do you know how groundbreaking this is? People like this, they would not do such a thing. See, Jesus came to challenge the systems of the world. To challenge the political and power structures that we might hold onto tightly. And he came to show us a better way of doing things. So Jesus uses this sacred event of a meal where boundaries and social values and hierarchies are set. And he establishes new boundaries, a new social value, a new hierarchy. See, people who were estranged used meals as an invitation to bring about reconciliation, to bring about healing. So this particular master chooses to use a meal with the rejects to bring about reconciliation to those who have no voice, no social standing, no place to stay, no influence. What benefits him? This host, this God, this Jesus invites those who are on the margins to be reconnected to the community at large. He reconnects them with the cool people <laughs> through the event of a meal. What a powerful image. He's saying to those people, you are significant. You're now a somebody because you're eating with me.
My first year of teaching, I taught a fourth grade class, and it, it, it changed my life. Um, I got my degree in 1999. I took seven years to graduate because I love playing intramural basketball, so I took my time until my mom said, you know what, you got to start paying for your own schooling, and then I was like, oh, I got to graduate, I got to graduate. But in that time, I mean, during that time, I, I went to school to become a teacher. And I graduated hating teaching. I had a bad experience, and I wanted nothing to do with the profession. So at that, after I graduated, I was looking for a job, anything besides teaching. And the reason I needed to find a job quickly was because I just got engaged, and I needed to pay for a wedding where we invited and we have big family and extended family, so we're like, oh my gosh, we've got to invite so many people. So after eight months of looking for a job, I had no luck. Then luck struck me on the head, and a job opened it up, and guess what it was in? Teaching. <laughs> so I ended up taking the job out of necessity. <laughs> It was a fourth grade position, um, and I had to take over for a teacher who, was, who just retired. She was burnt out and frustrated with the job. After hearing about all the stories of, the, of, the, of what went on in the classroom and how the students um, kind of felt like not a lot of effort was put into their education, um, I found out the situation, and it was a sad situation. See, the teacher had given up on these kids, and because of that, the kids had given up on themselves. These children were hurt, they were broken, they were abandoned. But on the first day of work, I was not looking forward to being in the classroom. I, re I remember telling my mother, who's extremely passionate about teaching and loves the profession. In fact, she can't even give it up after 51 years. And she's still working in the profession. But I remember telling her, I hate teaching. So every day for the first month, I remember praying one simple prayer. Lord, Help me survive this day. However, going in, I decided, okay, my philosophy was, I don't, like, academically, I'll try my best, but more than anything, I want to treat these kids with the respect and see them as how Jesus might see them, with love and value. And believe me, some days were harder than others to see that in them. But as the weeks went by, the environment in the classroom started getting better and better. It started changing. And soon I started seeing the children smile. And their personalities started coming out. And they started to respect one another. And for the troubled students their visits to the office became less frequent. 
these kids came in with some major baggage. Some of them were abandoned, some were abused physically, emotionally. And some just needed attention. And others just wanted to feel like they matter. At the end of the school year, many within the school saw a major difference within the kids. These students who were considered rejects and losers left being a part of a community with respect for one another and themselves. At the end of the year, I remember telling my mother the same thing. I hate teaching. She's like, why? You did such a good job this year. I said, because you fall in love with these kids, and then the year ends, and you have to say goodbye. See, these kids who were abandoned, hurting, and broken was undeserving of the years they had. And I also, who was hurting and broken, was undeserving of the year that I had. But I believe God saw us in our state, in our brokenness, and in our hurts, and brought healing, not only to their situation, but to my situation as well. See, this story is about the master who invites those who are unworthy, the hurting, the broken, the needy, the powerless, those who need a break, and he restores their dignity and restores their self-worth and makes them a somebody. Now, this story also warns us to those who think that they've arrived, that we deserve something from God. Jesus, in this parable, states the opposite. Those who think they're on the inside become on the outside. And those who find themselves excluded, those who are broken, abandoned, hurting, suffering, find themselves included. Some of us us may feel, I've been to this dinner already. The question for us is, do we take this invitation for granted? Are we okay with the new guest that's been invited to this party? Are we okay joining a party with these kinds of guests? Are we willing to host this kind of party? And say, just as Jesus says, come and dine. Many of us, including myself, under the surface, live with pains and scars and hurts and fears. But Jesus invites us to have a meal with him, to be restored. And he says, come and dine with me. Many of us may have been abused or neglected or rejected. But Jesus invites us to come and dine. Those dealing with insecurities, come and dine. Those who are hurting, come and dine. Those who feel insignificant, come and dine. Those who are depressed, come and dine. Feeling powerless, come and dine.
come and die. Come and die. And if you listen to the Spirit of God, it might say back to you, come and die. You are, re- you are relevant. Come and die. You are accepted. Come and die. You are significant. Come and die. You are loved. Taste and see that the Lord is good. During this Advent season, as we reflect on Christmas and its meaning, Jesus invites us to come and dine. Come and sit and laugh and play and dance at the table of Jesus. Come and dine. Let's pray.